0: Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is episode number twenty-five, and I'm your host, Brooke McAllery. Hi, Ben.
1: G'day. How are you going? Good. How are you? Good. Good. Half a se- half a half a century, quarter of a century. <laughs>
0: That's what we're going for. Quarter, <laughs> half a <or> half.
1: <laughs> the diamond anniversary of this wonderful podcast. Congratulations.
0: Oh, thank you. Congratulations to you.
1: Uh, in episode twenty-five, you interview Sam
0: Lustgarten.
1: Or if you're being fancy?
0: If I was being fancy, I would say Lustgarten. Lustgarten? But I actually asked him and he's like, yeah, no, just Lustgarten's fine. Okay. Um, Sam writes a blog called org, and um, he writes obviously about frugal living, but he also writes a lot about social justice and minimalism. Uh, he's a really, just a really interesting guy. We had such a great conversation. He was very honest. That was one of the things that you said after you listened
1: yeah, really honest, and I think your interviewing techniques are improving so much that you're, no. that you're getting that honesty out of your guests. But some great stories in this, and some great stories about us as well, and, and where we've run into debt issues.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's right. He was just so open and honest, and it was just, it was genuinely a conversation. Yeah, it's a great conversation. Um, but before we jump in, a few things. If you want the. Um, we, we reference a few things, a few you know resources and things in today's episode. So you can head to the show notes at slowyourhome.com forward slash 25. And also, please check out Sam's uh, website. He's also written a new book that he's just released called Frugaling. And you can find all of the information about that on his website, frugaling.org. Today's episode is uh, sponsored by Audible. Dot com, and today you can get yourself a free audiobook and a free 30-day trial if you head to audibletrial.com forward slash slow and um, you can choose any book out of 180,000-odd books that they have there, audiobooks. But today you might want to check out, for those of you who are introverted or kind of borderline introverted. Susan Cain's book called Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. And this is actually a book that my dad recommended to me um, maybe last year or the year before. It was a really powerful book. I think we so often kind of feel like we need to be the loudest in the room or loudest on, on the internet. And um, yeah, I got a lot out of it. So that was what, that's that's a recommendation from my dad. And... <laughs> Funnily enough, my dad's actually currently listening to a recommendation of mine, which is Amy Poehler's Yes Please. So I do apologize, dad, for the language in that book.
1: A bit of a language warning on that, unlike this podcast, which is squeaky clean. Squeaky. Um, And without further ado, we'll probably get into this uh, podcast because it is quite a long one. It's a bit of a long one. We want to make this as uh, short and sweet as possible. Just like us. So I hope you guys enjoy this uh, episode, episode 25, with Sam
0: Lustgarten.
1: Lostgarten. Lostgarten.
0: Lostgarten. Enjoy the show. Enjoy the show. Sam, how are you going?
2: Doing well. How are you,
0: Brooke? Really, really well. I'm covering so I'm good. Good. It's uh it's good to chat with you.
2: Yeah, it's a blast and I'm, I'm really excited to be here and um you know, really humbled that you asked. I mean uh, um I feel a little like a little little blog still, but um I'm really honored to be asked.
0: No, I mean what you've been putting out, I mean, at Frugaling is Really impressive stuff, and I think um, you know, people. I had Kate Flanders on a few weeks ago, and people were really interested in learning more about um, finance, personal finance, and how it kind of plays into both um, you know happiness and the kind of life we live, but also um, you know how people can improve their own personal finance. So I know that people are going to love hearing from you.
2: Oh, I'm, I'm glad to hear it, and I actually. Um Uh, shout out to Kate Uh, that was a really great episode and it was happy I was really happy to hear what she had to say about personal finance and and in particular um, the idea that you know it's not a one size fits all kind of concept
0: she was fantastic I've had so much feedback from that episode just you know a complete open book and um, really kind of powerful advice that people could dig into and um, yeah and, and apply to themselves So now it's your turn.
2: (laughs) Oh boy, I'm in the hot (laughs) seat.
0: So, I mean, your website is frugaling.org and you talk about a lot um, beyond just, you know, frugal living. But can you tell me what you mean by, you know, when you talk about frugal, frugal living or frugality, first of all?
2: Yeah, sure. And, you know, so I... I grew up um, very close to my grandparents, and they lived pretty cheaply. Um, You know, a trip to the store was always planned, and they had a list going, and usually it was not some sort of rash decision. And additionally, they impressed upon me these powerful moments when they were growing up in the Great Depression, um, from just pretty distinct and abject poverty to living with less and doing just fine, you know they lived very long lives and um, they didn 't sacrifice and they didn 't struggle because of the, the the sacrifices they made earlier on. In fact, it really um, made them characters and, and incredible people in life gave them depth and I admired that and I, I think for- Reality to me is about learning to live with less obviously minimizing costs but at the same point learning to embrace what's most important in life and that's going to vary between people for me that's like travel and um moments with friends so i i really want to save so that i can have more downtime honestly i'm not a big work hard play hard advocate i'm a a play hard, work less. Advocate, and the only way that I can make that equation work for me is by saving money on my budget.
0: Play hard, work less. That is my kind of like life motto. <laughs> 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 um, you know, I think it's it's interesting that um, you know, you go back to the influence of your grandparents, uh, and you're now applying it to what is what feels like a thoroughly modern um, issue of, you know, excess and overwhelm and, you know, too much debt and too much stuff and too many commitments. It's just, you know, uh, I don't think I'm the first person to say it, but it looks like so many of the solutions to so many of our current issues, uh, particularly in the way that we live, they live, you know, the solutions live like 50, 60 years ago. We're just kind of seeing a lot of people dig back into the past and, and think about, What we might be able to learn from from our grandparents' generation, our parents' generation,
2: definitely. Yeah, it's a it's a total throwback. um, You know, it's almost like with the furniture and the style that's come back from the '50s and '60s, the appeal of the Mad Men era is also some are also some of those values too, Um, and maybe embedded in some of that is frugality.
0: Yeah, I think so. And, you know, um, which is not dissimilar to what I talk about a lot, like slow living. It's, you know, quality mm-hmm. over quantity and, you know, depth rather than breadth. Um, and that's I, – I have a really similar kind of philosophy to you that I make all these changes so that I can have more downtime. Like I don't make these changes so that I can do more work. Um, right. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's very, very similar kind of philosophy. So were you always – kind of financially aware and responsible?
2: <laughs> um, hmm. Well, I got one story, and that would be that in college, in my undergraduate years, I was always known to be cheap. I don't think I actually was, but everybody <laughs> thought I was cheap. Like, I clipped coupons before it was cool, and um, and I... I Always looked for ways to save. I didn't frequently go out to bars. But something happened. Um, I went through a couple bad breakups in college and additionally suffered um, from some pretty uh, horrible events that occurred in my life. And I just lost it. So, yeah, maybe I started out pretty good and I, I was... Kind of looking for ways to save, and I I try to get the free coupon and then actually get the thing, and but something tripped and I kind of fell off the wagon. So yeah, maybe internally I always had a guide that said, "Let's look to save money." Um, I've I'm kind of an advocate for talking about climate change and issues of consumption. And I think I've had that my whole life, but something happened towards the end of college and I lost it. And that was right as I was beginning to go to graduate school and student loans came into my life, a car loan came into my life, and everything just fell apart.
0: I think that's interesting. So you would have been kind of, you know, very early 20s or so when that was all happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I I kind of, as you were talking, I'm looking back at my own sort of um, life and not dissimilar, I guess. And I think part of it for me was that up until I was at university, I was really, I lived at home, of course, and my parents' influence uh, has always been really strong in my life. And then you kind of get this taste of independence. <laughs> and, you know, for me, my my previously, I was never particularly awesome with money, but I was always okay. Mm. You know, I always had enough money to, to pay board and, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but then university happened and then um, Ben and I saved. We managed to save for our big, you know, gap year trip, went around the world. But be, after that, you know, it was just, we just completely, completely lost our way financially and it took a long time and a few really hard you know hard moments of, of looking at ourselves in our situation to to regain that I think maybe part of it is just kind of growing up and finding out what's important to you and and figuring out kind of ways to to mitigate you know the the pressures but yeah that's really interesting
2: yeah absolutely I, I think that there is a maturity to it although it seems that every single time that I've, I've made a difference to try and save and, and make a difference, a lot of people are like, wow, I wish I knew that at your age. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't know when we become mature. Um, but yeah, in my early 20s, 21, 22, that was tough. It was really tough. And I, I think it also contributed to a voice that I have now, which says that financial problems are not just what's coming in, what's going out. It has a lot to do with, and it's influenced definitely by my own career choice, but by psychological issues that you're going through as well.
0: Um, can you mean, so you're, you study psychology, can you expand on that uh, a little bit? Like what sort of psychological issues do you think that could be impacting people's financial situation?
1: Well,
2: you know, I'll speak from my own experience so that I don't, um, you know, call someone else out or, you know, misspeak, but... I was definitely suffering from some sort of kind of depressed state. I was very, very sad at the end of college. And that sadness definitely spurred me on to spend, or at least that's what I felt internally. I was looking to distract myself. I was looking to busy myself. I wanted to feel purposeful. And the most that I could come up with at the time, and I know that this sounds like exceptionally, almost like, empty and it felt that way was to go to like the mall and to go shopping or to um, browse Amazon. It was the most that I could come up with and it was a really, really tough time for me. I felt very isolated and the only way that I could get out of that was spending Mm -hmm. and uh, it's a real short-term fix for a long-term problem.
0: Yeah, I mean there's two things that you said that really kind of struck me. I think first of all, that's not it's not at all an isolated kind of situation. I hear from a lot of people mm. um, frequently who are either working to stop that kind of distraction spending, you know, be mm-hmm. it online. Online, I think online shopping has a huge part to play because when we're bored or when we're uncomfortable or when we don't want to engage with whatever we're feeling, we typically either grab our phones or we surf, you know, surf the net. Um, and so I think that's that's quite a common thing. Um, but I also really was struck by what you said about it, it being a, f- a form of distraction because we mm-hmm. don't, you know, there are times where we don't want to own up to what we're feeling or how we're feeling or why, you know, engage with it so that we can figure out why we're feeling that way. Right. And I think a lot of, you know, minimalism or frugality or slow living or whatever is about... Um, it's about so much more than stuff. Like, the stuff doesn't come into it in the end. It's more about being able to engage, you know, intentionally and be present and, f- and kind of feel that stuff, I think. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think, uh, you know, you, you speak about the major themes there and there's so much overlap that I see yeah. in, in other people's lives and in my life where you have too much stuff and you just keep spending and you have too much stuff, what's going on in your life? Are you just too busy? Is there a stressor go- that, that's happening? What is happening environmentally in this person's life that's also keeping them so busy and, and interested in it? And I think there's, there's anything from the culture that we grow up in which says, you've got to work hard to, to be good in life, to, to call yourself a success and so that other people call you that too. And there are so many of these pressures that get people to keep moving without recognizing, yeah, what they have already. And um, yeah, I think you're right. When you slow down, you can begin to see that.
0: Yeah, I think you can just begin to recognize the, you know, the pressure and the expectation that's both internal and external. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's kind of this this cycle cycle of kind of i don't know (laughs) pressure and and um you know comparison and we get to where we think we want to be you know we get the the job that we want or we get um the house that we want or the car or the pair of jeans or whatever it is and we think i'll be happy when but you get there and all of a sudden it doesn't seem that great because you then want something else you know and it's it's kind of being able to disengage from that cycle for a minute to kind of you know look at exactly what you said, why what's driving this you know, what's driving me
2: and I, I think that there's you know, along that line that classic Thoreau quote of the price of anything is, um, what is it, the the amount of life that you exchange for it essentially mm-hmm. um, it's so true, you know, if if I need to then go ahead and work more to pay for this item that you know, I may come back to or I may think, "Gosh, why did I even buy that?" Um, I'm I'm just getting into this deep, awful cycle.
0: So um, you initially started writing frugaling um, when you you amounted debt when you were at graduate school, um, mm-hmm. and it was a significant amount of debt. Um, what what was the kind of the catalyst for you to say to look at your situation and say? Oh, this is enough. I like. I'm, I'm. I. I need to make a change, and I need to make it now.
2: Mm-hmm. It was a. I mean, it was a plummet. The 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 chart that in like Mint. dot com, my personal finance manager. You know, the chart was astounding. You know, looking back at this, I go from, you know, right around zero. I'm not a rich college student. I just. I'm, I don't have anything, but I don't have any debt. Really, I don't own a car so I'm right around zero and all of a sudden I buy a car as soon as I, you know, this is as soon as I graduate, I buy a car. I, um, take out the full and they call these awards, but these are financial aid from the federal government and the full amount. I say, Oh, well I'm going to need this. Right. I don't know any better. I haven't made a budget. I, I don't know what I'm doing. The financial aid office says, yeah, you can take out as much as you want. So I do that. And I literally, I go from zero to almost five figures in about a month. Wow. And, but I just keep going. (laughs) It's not then that I realize, oh my gosh, what did I do? Because I've, okay, so I've gone ahead and purchased an $11,000 used car. I think to myself, yeah, I, I better get, you know, a good, a good solid card that's reliable for a long period of time without really thinking, okay, I've got $200 monthly payments for a long time. Mm. And I take out that full graduate school loan, not really thinking how much do I need each month? How much am I going to need over this year? And I keep going for about two years of this and then i started dating somebody and she asked me she she was working by then and making a good salary she asked me quite innocently how much debt do you have and all of a sudden i just i just kind of froze and i you know for a moment like in my head uh, i don't know what i'm going to i don't know what i'm going to say i don't know how to talk about this i I'm embarrassed. I'm, but I don't know why I should be. I don't get it. I don't, like, I needed to get this debt, right? I'm, go, I'm, I'm going to graduate school. I needed this debt. And almost I went, I'm like going from embarrassment to defensiveness mm-hmm. to shame to all of these awful things. Like, well, you know, who are you to ask? You know, you're, this isn't polite to ask someone else about how much debt they have. But in this moment, I did answer her, and I tried to calmly say, you know, well, if I, if I calculate my car loan with my graduate and my current credit debt, I mean, I don't know, like $30, $38,000, $39,000, just about. And, uh, you know, her reaction on her face said a lot. I mean, it, she was shocked. She said, in two years, in, in two years, you've it's almost $40,000. I said, uh, you know, yeah, that's what I've got to do. But something happened after that conversation. After that conversation, I just, I kept thinking about it. I kept thinking about my emotional reaction. I kept thinking about the fact that I'm on track to graduate with six figures of debt. And my job prospects are not like a medical doctor I'm going to be a PhD, but it's not like a medical doctor. I'm not going to look at that kind of salary. So I can't just pay back six figures willy-nilly, no problem. And that's what started Frugling. That's what started me on this path, this journey to, to live with less.
0: And what were the first uh, changes that you made after that, that kind of realization moment?
2: The first one was, okay, I got to make a budget. And that's the, like, cliche. That's the one that anybody can say. It's, you got to make a budget. You got to know how much you're spending. I had no idea. How much am I spending each month? How much am I taking in? And and then the second piece was, I realized that by admitting the amount that I had to my then-girlfriend, that I was acknowledging it for the first time, that that was almost a first step in the right direction. And I took that feeling and that, that, that growthful feeling that comes from disclosing something that's hard to share, but growing like being able to grow from it, I took that, and that's what spawned Frugling. That's what spawned the website. So the, there was a budget, and then there was a website. And those were the really well-intentioned, decisions that I made was, you know, were I'm going to talk about this openly. And even if I'm messing up, which I am prone to do, even if I mess up, I'm going to have people holding me accountable and saying, what are you, you're, you're saying you're living this life of frugality, but look at you spending willy-nilly. And then, you know, hopefully that would keep me in line and check.
0: I think that kind of goes some way to combat what you were talking about before, which was this, uh, you know, mixed reaction of both embarrassment and shame and defensiveness too. If you mm-hmm. lay it, if you lay it all out and you know, just be completely honest with it. You're saying this. This is not something that I need to hide. It's something that I want to fix and something that I want to change. Uh, yeah, that's 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 a really kind of powerful and scary place to 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 come from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah
2: and you hit it that 's i mean if anything, the best word is like that's it's i 'm insecure i don 't know what you 're going to think about me i don 't know if you 're going to like me after I say this
0: yeah. yeah, we carry so much around with us don 't we I mean so i mean I think the vast majority of people have either dealt with debt in in this kind of way or continue to deal with debt, and the emotions that we tie up in this you know this part of our life they just they can be so toxic you right. know, we just carry them around and with this this mixture of shame and kind of anger and embarrassment and again defensiveness, and it just makes it so difficult to talk about yeah absolutely so after you you, you started your budget, you kind of acknowledged the situation which freed you up to to start talking about it and acting on it. what were your goals? With, with living frugally? What, I mean, you obviously wanted to pay down your debt. Did you have goals beyond paying down your debt?
2: I, I wanted to get more time.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And being in graduate school and, and working as hard as I did, I, it was twofold. that did I, I, I didn't want to ever have that shame again or that embarrassment. I wanted to be able to acknowledge and work towards you know, bettering myself but I also wanted to get more time with those that were really important to me. And I realized how much time that I was spending just kind of spinning my wheels and working, working, working. And I finally questioned myself and, and said, what am I doing this all for? Like, why am I working so hard? And do I even enjoy it? And much of the time, the answers were like, no, I don't enjoy working this hard and no, the majority of what I'm doing is is not helping me. So where, what can I cut out? What can I minimize? What can I throw away? And I think that was the other piece to it, yeah. Mm.
0: So that's when you started to explore your minimalism and living a, a simpler life?
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah.
0: And did you find yeah. that, you know, letting go of physical possessions had as big an impact as the financial side?
2: I would say minimizing my life and removing what I just truly didn't need actually was more impactful than the financial steps that I made. Mm. Because the financial steps that I was making were numbers on spreadsheets. They were... uh, transactions and statements, the minimization or the, or I guess I'm blanking on the the right verb there for minimalism, but to minimize my life meant removing true objects, physical space was opening up. And that is huge. That's so impactful to visually be able to see how free your space is. I remember moving from Fort Collins, Colorado, where I was going to undergraduate, to Iowa City, Iowa, where I'm going to graduate school now. And part of my, you know, struggle, like growing up and stuff like that, or sorry, let me go back. The, so I was at CSU for four years at the Colorado State University, and then I spent a year of graduate school there. That's where I started getting all this debt.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And then I moved to Iowa city and then I, in Iowa city, I took, just took on more debt. And it was in a move in Iowa city that I realized that my journey into frugality and minimalism and just kind of simpler living had paid off. I, I was able to move everything in like half of a car wow. and, and honestly, it just felt so freeing. And I realized that the stuff I have around me is really, really important. Like, it's the necessities. And everything else, the stuff that I got rid of and the stuff that I could potentially be buying more of, just not important. It's just not important anymore.
0: Um,
2: Yeah. So uh, I apologize for the the back and forth, but I I feel like I needed to explain that timeline.
0: No, no, it makes perfect sense. And I think um, basically everything you're talking about is coming, it boils down to freedom, you know? Mm -hmm. So financially, yes, there's, there's that weight being free of that weight and, um, you know, not being kind of chained to a desk in order to pay your debt. You know, that's a certain freedom, but then also in terms of the physical possessions that we, that we own or that own us, uh, you know, there's so much freedom in letting go of that stuff. It's just, Mm. uh, when I was going through our, you know, our, first huge decluttering project years ago, I had no idea that this stuff weighed anything until mm. I didn't have it anymore. You, know, you just, that sense of freedom is phenomenal.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and so the most impactful is I think that loss of weight that, that you speak of there, that that loss of weight is tangible. It's real. Mm. It's not an imaginary number. It's not, a, it's not okay, if I put in a hundred in my keyboard then I'll have 50 left. This is real. And it doesn't change by the click of a keyboard. It, it's literally you lifting it up and throwing it out of your room. Yeah, it's, it's
0: literally life-changing. Yeah. Uh, do you think, in terms of debt, do you believe that there's good debt and bad debt, good debt being you know, assets, house, whatever, and bad debt being credit cards, store cards, or do you just think that debt is something we should avoid?
2: Brooke that's a tough question (laughs) (laughs) I've really struggled with this one myself
0: yeah I can understand that because it's not an easy answer you know
2: yeah let me just say that I, I think there are people that do great things with mortgages and they're very responsible they take them out and they're able to pay them off and they don't pull into that equity and they just let, you know, let themselves build a a nest egg.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And that's wonderful. (laughs) But but the hesitation (laughs) that I have and the the piece that I struggle with is just, I don't know that we're naturally inclined and naturally able to balance debt, to, to understand and wrap our heads around this concept of debt. People get in trouble with debt with such um, it's such a common problem that that i don't know that it's a problem it's just how people react to debt if you you know it's as if more if more than fifty percent suffer from or get themselves into trouble with debt at some point in their lives, do we keep calling that a problem or do we just keep or do we say that that is the trend that's what people do it's not necessarily like um It's abnormal. It's normal. It's normal to get into all this debt and to have trouble with it. And so for me, and in my experience, and in all of these kind of life things that I've gone through, I want to stay far away from debt, Mm -hmm. whatever you call it. I don't care if you call it a mortgage. I don't care if you call it a car loan or student loans. I want to stay away from it. And there may be a time when I have to take out loans and debt again, I'm not going to necessarily say that, again, this is goes back to I'm not a perfect person, but if I can do everything that I, anything and everything that I can to stay away from it, I will. And if that means not getting a house through a mortgage and just renting, I know some people are very, very uh, reactionary to that statement. Oh, how could you rent and you're just throwing away equity that could be going into a home? It's just a very scary concept for me. I just don't want to be back there again. I don't want to see those those zeros pile up in my my, you know, my net worth and see, wow, I'm I'm fighting this again. And it felt like such a hole, and it was really really a hopeless period when I had all that debt.
0: I think it's um I mean, I it's really interesting to look at it also in a generational kind of way. You know, I look at my parents' generation, for example, and typically when they were our age, uh, if they were married or, you know, wanted to buy a house, they did that, but there wasn't the, I mean, living expense, cost of living was nowhere near as high as it was. I look at what they were able to pay for a home, and Mm. while, of course, it's relative in comparison to what people were earning, it wasn't up, like mortgage repayments weren't, you know, 50 or 60% of their weekly income. It was like 30% of their weekly income. Um, You know, and I think now it's kind of this horrible combination of cost of living, um, you know, housing prices. Here in Australia, it's just nuts. Right. And also, uh, you know, really easy to gain access to credit cards. So people are, you know, putting their life on credit. But then that kind of all ties into this sense of entitlement that mm. we have, you know, and I, I put myself firmly in that, that generational kind of stereotype. But, um, you know, I think it's, it's really interesting to kind of go back a generation or two and see how our approach to debt has changed. Like you said, now it's normal. You know now it's normal for people to have m- multiple credit cards, or you know tens of thousands of dollars in in just in credit card debt. Let alone a car, let alone uh, you know a mortgage. Whereas that was you know the aim of generations before: pay off the house. Like, that was it. You know that okay. their their goal was to build equity in the home. And yeah, I just think it's it's really it's an interesting question, and I, I think that the only way. To, to kind of solve the problem is to back out of it for a certain, right. you know to a certain degree because we' we're, you know, we're not digging ourselves out of this hole
2: and my advice my experience certainly doesn't apply to all people and so mortgages might be like i said a, a great thing for some people, but yeah Brooke, you kind of highlight it for me I just I can't imagine getting back there right now, and I'm scared of it. And I don't trust that the landers are necessarily in my best interest. Hmm. You know, I'm, I'm a product of the 2007-2008 crisis. I'm a product of, you know, my, my grandparents were a product of the Great Depression, and I'm a product of the Great Recession, And I hold that near and dear because even though ours didn't look as bad as theirs, a lot of evil and very toxic kind of products came up in the whole scandal in the fall Mm. of the market. You know, there were a lot of lenders that were taking advantage of lendees and their ability to um, get better interest rates on mortgages, predatory lending, and I just – I learned to distrust much of the financial markets. And, um, so I'm a product of that too.
0: Yeah. I think, um, you know, there's something that we were kind of relatively insulated from here in Australia, mm-hmm. but, um, I, I can, I can't imagine how seeing you know the economy and very real situations of people that you know, going through those kinds of horrific situations, um, yeah, I can't imagine how that would impact it while also kind of battling your own, uh, you know, demons of debt and, and, you know, trying to get out of it. It, it would absolutely shape your approach, I think, to, to what, what life's going to look like, you know, in the next five, 10, 15 years.
2: Right. And I, I think that all of our debt, the credit cards included, I mean, and maybe in particular that those allowed us to keep spending Hmm. even during this crisis so that people didn't panic and people were able to say, oh, you know, uh, you know, it must not be that bad because look at the malls.
0: Well, (laughs) that's such a laugh because that's exactly something that you would hear people talk about, you know, as if if our ability to buy stuff that we don't need is, you know, it's it's what's going to save the economy. And that's what we're told, you know, we go out out and spend and you'll keep people in jobs and the factories will stay open and the shops will stay open. But what about the people who can't actually afford to pay for the stuff that they're buying?
2: Right. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like everybody's trying to continue this cycle that It's
0: unsustainable. And it is. It is unsustainable. Yeah. Where do you see, um, you know, through your experience of writing at Frugaling, I'm sure you get a lot of, you know, a lot of interaction with with readers, particularly telling you their stories and um, also asking for help. But where do you see people waste money the most? What's the biggest drain on people's finances?
2: Food. And that's me included, but food. When I talk to friends, when I talk to family, when I talk to readers, food. It's about going out to eat. And it's inexplicable I mean, it's, it's inextricably linked to social outings. These are the moments that we share with each other. It's going out to eat to a nice restaurant, having that great glass of wine and being able to talk amongst your, each other and, and really connect. It's this wonderful moment, but it's there that you're spending so much more. And that's a problem for me too, me included. Um, But I think food seems to be so interestingly linked to some of these debt problems. And when I look at what my website has pulled the most traffic from, it is almost always food-related. When I talk about food budgets, when I talk about what I'm making that is a little bit more frugal food, people react to that. They're excited. They share their own recipes. They, they point out suggestions about how they're learning to save with food too. I think that food is really at the heart of a lot of, um, or surprisingly, a lot of spending.
0: That, yeah, that did surprise me actually. I did not expect you to say food. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, I think the, the whole issue of eating out a lot, you know, buying, uh, you know, really nice meals, nice glass of wine, whatever, of course, um, would add up substantially. I think, uh, you know, it's interesting actually that that's something that, that we all struggle with because I think that also then ties back into this whole fear of missing out kind of thing. You know, if your friends or your family are going out and having a great meal, we don't want to miss out on that. We can maybe tell ourselves that we don't need to buy, that pair of jeans or those shoes or that, you know, new phone. But when cause we say to ourselves, this is what we're doing it for. We're doing it for experiences. We're doing it for, you know, we're, we're minimizing our life so that we can have greater experiences. So it's, um, yeah, it's interesting that, that then that then becomes problematic in itself.
2: Well, and there you go. You know, even as a minimalist, you can rationalize it. Hmm. You can say, oh no, I'm not like, pfft. my home's empty. You know, I've got nothing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm a minimalist. I, I have 20 objects, but I'm going out to eat three meals a day. It's where there's a, there, there is a disconnect sometimes between minimalism and frugality where it does, being a minimalist does not necessarily mean that you're being frugal. And no, yeah. being frugal certainly doesn't mean that you're being a minimalist. But I like to think that if you pair the two together, you really get the best of both worlds. And to me, the solution when it comes to food is difficult but is difficult to sometimes put into practice, but simple. The idea is cook at home, make potluck dinners, say, hey, make your favorite dish, come on over, we're going to have that social gathering that we would otherwise be spending potentially hundreds of dollars to do in a restaurant.
0: Yeah, something I wanted to ask you about, actually, because, I mean, I know we're speaking about frugal living and minimalism kind of in the same breath, but they absolutely can, you know, be at odds with each other as well, I think. So, you know, when I used to think about frugal living, I always thought it was more about kind of stockpiling and, um, you know, buying things that are on sale because you might need them later, but, you know, they're 85% off. Uh, (laughs) So, I mean, I, I know that was a really skewed kind of, vision of it. And then similarly, minimalism can be seen as this super hardcore, um, you know, I own 10 items, but they're all very expensive. Uh, (laughs) you know, so I I think it's really, it's, it's not dissimilar to most things, I guess, kind of finding that middle road and finding where those two, two elements meet is where kind of the sweet spot is. And that certainly sounds like what you've found.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think, almost like in a Buddhist sense, that middle way or middle path is is where we want to be in this, that we don't want to have such such few things that we ultimately have to go out of our way to spend money to essentially solve our lack of items, um, solve the, the problem that we don't have actually enough to, to make do. So there needs to be a bare minimum, whereas you you also want to find ways to save. So one thing to me is like you can buy all-in-one objects or you can buy single-serve objects. So what I mean like you could buy a knife that also trims and cuts and you could put that all together in one device and boy, you would have so much more space, but I prefer to have the knife, the scissors and, you know, whatever whatever things separated. And and maybe that takes up more room, but it's cheaper. It's usually more reliable. And if one fails, I'm not replacing the whole thing. So, yeah.
0: And I think um, that, that's one of the things that I've always been struck by with people who are who are minimalists and who say, well, I don't have these things. I just go and buy them if I need them. Like that, I, I, I understand it because they're mm-hmm. taking the, uh, you know, they're taking the burden of ownership away from themselves. But when, you know, you're... you're, you're response is to constantly just go and buy something as you need it and then get rid of it when you're finished with it it just perpetuates this kind of cycle of consumerism which to me minimalism is kind of about getting away from so i mean mm-hmm. i know it works to a certain extent and particularly if you're using you know secondhand shops and thrift shops and things like that it's not such an issue but um i i've, I've always kind of found that When you get to the very hardcore end of it, like, well, you know, I don't only have one pair of socks and if I need another pair of socks, I'll buy them and then I'll throw my socks out. You know, you know what I mean? It's, Mm -hmm. yeah, I just... It almost
2: contributes to the disposable economy. Exactly.
0: Exactly. And I think, you know, you could be a minimalist who uses only plastic plates and throws them out every night, but I don't think that that's benefiting anyone greatly. You know, I think that's kind of got a, a real detrimental impact on things. So mm-hmm. I think, yeah, finding that that kind of spot between ne- you know what you need and then what you think you need,
2: <laughs> right, absolutely,
0: yeah, so what are some things people can do to live more frugally right now if they if they're listening to this and they think this is something that I need to work on, I need to focus on you know debt reduction or financial um, issues, what can they do starting today
2: well. I'll start with the boring advice. The boring advice is you've got to create that budget. You've got to. And additionally, beyond going ahead and finding out how much you're spending every month, throw in 10%. So go ahead and say, you know, if you were to plug these into like a spreadsheet or something like that, you put in the totals for all of your items. So let's say your rent is $560 dollars. And your food costs for the month are $300, whatever, you know, numbers you got. And then I would say, put a 10% on it. Can you shave that off 10%? Can you shave off your rent by 10%? If you, if, if you all of a sudden say, well, but then I'd have to move. Ask yourself, can you move? What is that move? How do you actually get to that 10% off? Is that even possible? And, it, and you might honestly not be able to do that. And it might honestly be a, a bridge too far. But what about your food? Okay, so let's talk about food. Could you take $30 off of that $300? That, in that way, I'm starting to kind of get you to think about, okay, the finances, but also minimalism. Because I feel like we can make do with less. So let's bring in minimalism, the, the incredible attributes that, that that theme has to frugality. And um, beyond that, I would also say, where are your values, do you value consumption? Do you value spending more than you have? Do you value a bigger home and a bigger car than you already have? If you're saying to yourself, "No, I don't value any of those things," then how are you spending? Are you spending within your values? are you Are you trying to reduce your consumption? Are you trying to shop at you know secondhand stores or just avoid it altogether? Are you trying to do those things? Are those the kind of values you'd like to li- li- lead and live? And so that kind of goes back to a philosophical component of frugality. So if you can bring in those philosophical pieces and think to yourself, where do my values, where where do my values even lie on these topics? Then I think you can get some motivation to really get started. If that makes
0: sense. It does. It makes perfect sense because I think. Understanding your intention as well, understanding your your why is incredibly important to making these kind of changes. Because not only I guess does it make it acts as your motivation, you know, once you get clear on why you're making these these shifts, it becomes a lot easier not necessarily easier, but it becomes more straightforward to to make those decisions because you know mm-hmm. what it is that you value. Yeah. Um a couple more questions before we finish up. But if you could go back and tell your college self mm. uh, one thing about money, what would it be? <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, boy. Oh man, I you know, I I bought a surround sound speaker system. I bought a new computer every year. Uh, or every six months, sometimes it, it, when it got really bad at the end of college, there and it's like, I was falling off the wagon. I bought a road bike that was probably thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars, leaving me with nothing by the time I graduated. So if I had to tell myself anything, it would be save every penny you can and look for entertainment and free things. But even if I told young Sam that I don't think he would do it. (laughs) So that's the tough part. So I don't know.
0: I think, and you know, sometimes I think we need to learn these lessons. Sometimes I, I do believe that we grow so much out of these periods of, you know, um, struggle or sadness or depression. Um, I do think that if we're fortunate enough to get out the other side of them, we look back and, and see what they've taught us. So, yeah, I don't think my, my 18-year-old self would listen to me now because she she knew everything. <laughs> right. You have such confidence too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I could do any job. I could, <laughs> you know, uh, I could, yeah, I could take over the world if I wanted to. But, yeah, um, so just, I mean, this has been a fabulous conversation. Uh, and I just wanted to finish up by talking a little bit about your new book. So congratulations uh, oh, on publishing that. It's called Frugaling: Save More, Live Well, Give Generously. Um, can you tell us, first of all, where we can find it, if people would like to grab a copy?
2: Well, right now it's just on Amazon. So those of you with Kindles, it's the perfect book. But um, if you don't have a Kindle, you can still download that like Amazon application. And so right now it's just Amazon and that ebook format. But I'm, I've been getting so many requests from people saying, "Can you make a hard copy? I want to give it as a gift." And thinking to myself, oh, "Okay, yeah. <laughs> am I ready?" But I, I'm debating it, so I, I might make it into another couple formats.
0: Cool. Yeah. Um. Fabulous. Well, this has been an awesome, awesome conversation. I feel like it went very, very quickly. Could talk to you for another hour.
2: <laughs> well, thank you very much, Brooke. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks
0: for um, for joining me and and being so open and honest too. I think people get a lot from hearing yeah really real experiences and and kind of real insight into struggles because so often we we just put we put a, a really nice face on things because it's easier and it's more comfortable for everybody. But I think to be able to to listen to your story and. Uh, you know, what you've learned over the last you know few years has been really valuable and I've taken a lot away from it. So thank you.
2: Absolutely. Thank you so much. And I mean, I guess I'd just say that in being more vulnerable with my own emotions, realizing like that I was being, I was feeling embarrassed and being able to speak out and say, I feel embarrassed, that I was not shamed and I was not, put in a box and said, oh, don't touch him, he's, he's, a, he's a weirdo, he, he's, he, he's, he should be embarrassed. Instead, people all said, I feel the same way, I went through this too, I, I, I don't know, I don't know how you share. And then I started saying, well, wait a second, this is why I share, because we're connecting with each other. I mean, I know that it's ironic, but people are connecting over being vulnerable and real, not over being artificial and smiling and fake and everything's good.
0: I better do that. Yeah, that's where where true connection comes in. That's been my experience over and over and over again. You you put something out there, and you're terrified that, like you say, you'll be shamed, you'll be pointed at and laughed at, or you know people will ignore you because they don't know what to do with this kind of horrible truth that you've been talking. It never happens. It never happens. That's where connection comes in. I think you do that really well.
2: Well, yeah, I, again, no, Brooke, I, I really, really appreciate the talking and, and it's, it's, it's a big honor to, to be on the show and to, to chat for
0: a little while. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Sam. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. This has been another episode of the Slow Home Podcast. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe via iTunes and leave us a rating or a review. Thanks for listening.